You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya, or whatever you like. Or you can simply ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. And today's show, uh, we're starting on a little bit of a somber note because as I'm sure you probably saw, this happened late on Sunday night, and uh, it's Tuesday morning as this is being released, so you've probably seen this news, but Tavares Jackson was tragically killed in a car accident late on Sunday night. Former Vikings, Seahawks, and Bills quarterback, uh, gone too soon at the age of 36, and he leaves behind uh, his wife and three kids. And there's not a lot, I mean, that I can say that is like valuable or important when it comes to a tragedy like this. And I think all we can do as fans is just kind of sit and reminisce about the times when he, you know, we let him be a part of our time with our families and part of our time with, you know, in the living room on Sundays. And, you know, I know it's weird to like when when it's an athlete or, or some kind of famous person, you know, and they pass away and, you know, they like leave behind a bunch of family. And all we talk about is like, hey, remember that one time he played really well against the Cardinals? And it's like it's, it's a very strange like tradition that we have that, you know, that's how we choose to remember them. That's the thing we talk about. But, you know, that's the kind of the time that he most closely impacted us when we were sitting there with our loved ones, watching them, rooting for the Vikings, and when he turned that into a happy memory. And I think that that's something worth remembering. And I think we can acknowledge the fact that, yeah, it's more important that he was a dad and that he was, you know, a husband and that all of his teammates just gushed with all kinds of good things to say about him all the time, not just, you know, posthumously. He was like a genuinely beloved teammate teammate and friend and father and family man. And of course, that's the most important thing. But I don't think that there's anything wrong with us not being a part of those relationships, remembering for the at least kind of parasocial relationship we have with athletes and remembering him for the impact that he had there. And for me, I I was in high school around the time of like Tavares Jackson's uh, Vikings career. And for me, I I kind of associate it with a lot of those memories. I remember uh, I actually was at a game in, I want to say it was like 2007 or 2006 or, you know, the years when Brad Johnson was starting and we were like really wanted Tavares Jackson to come in. And I remember chanting Tavares, Tavares, like in the stands at the Metrodome. I remember souring on him. I remember in 2008 when Gus Farratt came in and he played so well and in Gus We Trust and I was like all in on that and I didn't think Tavares Jackson should have started the playoff game. But like, I remember having like impassioned debates about that in high school, whether or not, you know, Tavares Jackson was going to be good. And then, you know, in 09 going, is it going to be Sage or is it going to be Tavares? And then Brett Favre came in and then, you know, you kind of forgot the whole thing and all you have is fond memories. So this kind of thing is always going to be a difficult tragedy to talk about. But I think the fact that this hurts, the most important thing here is to understand that that's okay. Football isn't just a game. It's deeply ingrained in our culture and our lives. And so this kind of thing hurts because you loved him and that's okay. So I'm going to switch gears now to a much happier topic. Uh, I want to talk about wide receivers 
for today. Uh, I'm not going to do prospect of the day, mostly because we're literally going to do like prospect, prospect, prospect all day. And there was some news and stuff. So we'll, we'll uh, skip prospect of the day for now. And uh, what I wanted to do was go over the wide receiver class in 2020 and talk about the kind of next tier of guys. So, you know, you have Ruggs and Lamb and Judy. Those are kind of the top three, and those guys are the ones that are going in the top 15 in just about every mock draft, the guys you kind of have to trade up for. And then there's like 10 receivers who I've seen all of them mocked at some point or another to the Vikings in the first or second round. They're guys you would get if you traded back to 34, you could get somebody here. But they're all like late first, second roundish guys that, you know, if you're picking a wide receiver that early, you're expecting them to come in and be immediate contributors. So I wanted to go over that list of names guy by guy and say, all right, who, who is who are the immediate contributors that I would want the Vikings to pick and who doesn't fit what the Vikings need? You know, who helps the Vikings right now and who would maybe not be so wise from that like win now angle because they kind of need to attack this with a win now lens. They need wide receiver talent immediately. So they need to somebody with, you know, short term impact. So who has short term impact? So for this list, I have these guys ordered in like the the order that I would want them. And so I'm going to kind of go from the bottom up. So I'm going to start with the guys that I'm not so high on and end with the guys that I would actually be okay taking at like 22 or 25. And so one person who barely made this list, but I figured it was better to err on the side of uh, talking about more guys is Donovan Peoples-Jones. A lot of people don't even have this guy in like day two. And I actually think that that's fair. But I have seen a couple of mocks where like the Vikings take him in the second round. So I figured it'd be good to talk about him. Uh, he comes from Michigan. He's got a good body, good athleticism. He's six foot two, 208. So like that's all the size you would ever want. And he's faster than you would think considering that size. But here's the thing. His route running, everybody unilaterally criticizes it. And so it's like a big problem and getting separation is a big problem. Um, and his production, I think, suffered from that. And at Michigan, he had difficulty uh, with his quarterback situation. Shea Patterson wasn't very good, but I don't know if a better quarterback situation helps him get like more separation. You know what I mean? Like he had a tough time beating up on Big Ten corners. And so for me, I feel like that becomes a mid-round pick because he doesn't have he's not dripping with upside like some of these other guys that are like it'll raw but athletic and he's I mean he's like fine he's his upside is adequate but he doesn't have a crazy amount of upside to justify the kind of project he would be until you get to the later round so I mean if he's there in like round three or four I'm taking him but I don't think he belongs on this list for any reason other than I was just kind of trying to miss long in terms of how many guys I covered. So and next time I see him in the second round of a mock, I'm, I'm going to be disappointed in that person. Uh, so the next guy on the list is somebody I've talked about previously. I took him in a mock draft. Uh, it's LaVisca Chenault Jr. Uh, he is somebody that's dripping with all this upside, but he has injury issues. You don't have any testing on him. So that upside is more difficult to put into context. You kind of need to build his route running from scratch. He just doesn't have like a lot of uh, polish, a lot of experience doing that. So he doesn't have... 
uh, like the the deceptive tools, and he could win in college with just the athleticism. But as it always goes, you know, you get to the NFL and you need to kind of like be good at the thing and not just fast at the thing. And so he he kind of needs to like build his game from scratch, and that's a risky thing because you don't know what you're going to get once you've trained him to run the way you want him to run. You know, you don't know what that's going to look like or how good he's going to be at that. There's a lot of unknowns in this kind of thing, and with the Viking situation they can't really afford to have a guy that just never develops, right? They can't afford to have, like, a Kevin White happen. They need help right now, or else you're going to see, like, significant snaps. You're going to see Tajay Sharp be the second-best receiver on the team, and that's not acceptable. And I think with LaVisca Chenault, he's somebody that, like, I could see in three years from now, I could see him being one of the better receivers in this class and being better than a bunch of the guys that I have above him. And I'm kind of at peace with that because the Vikings are in a situation where they just can't afford to take the risk and sit on their hands and wait. If he goes to a team that already has, you know, their three wide receivers set, it goes to, like, the Buccaneers or somebody. Or like, shoot, Buffalo, Buffalo, now that they have Diggs and, you know, John Brown and like they have guys that they're like okay with and they don't need immediate production from LaVisca Chenault. And then they hope that, you know, maybe in a couple of years he comes in and, and comes into his own and then you might have the most athletic guy in the whole class. Then... I could like see it, but the Vikings just don't have that luxury. And so for me, if I'm the Vikings, I'm Rick Spielman. I don't have these two guys like on my board even until day three. So there's a lot more guys to cover and I will get into all of them in just a second. So stick around. Okay, so when I was making this list, I actually tweeted out a picture of the list that I was working with. I said, hey, you know, am I missing anybody? Who who do you guys think should be on this list of, like, first to second round guys that I've forgotten about? And, like, six people were like, why don't you have Michael Pittman on there, you idiot? So let's talk about Michael Pittman. And Pittman, to me, is somebody that I think is suffering from being like, not the best guy at his thing in the class, which is, like, fine, because if you miss out on one guy, you've got this guy, but he is, like, this big contested catch type, he's a physical bully, uh, he even, like, got, like, a lot of OPI, which I'm actually, like, kind of see as a positive, like, I like a guy that, you know, push him off a route, go be physical, go get mean, and go bully guys around, you know, he buries people in blocks and stuff like that, but that's not the most exciting part of his game. I think the most exciting part of his game is uh, that he has crazy good ball skills. He can track the ball and adjust and deal with difficult balls. Uh, PFF actually has him, like, I think in their top 30 or something because of this. He catches everything, and ball tracking is really difficult, and I think it's kind of like accuracy with quarterbacks where it's like not something you can teach. I think it's like a spatial awareness and tracking and like I think it's like a cognitive ability that you kind of have or you don't and and Michael Pittman has it in spades. The problem with him is that you're going to lose some dynamicism dynamicism and explosiveness because he is like uh, he doesn't have uh, a lot of refinement in some of the more difficult routes. He's only good at like he's good at the deep stuff and he's good at the short stuff, but he's like a little bit worrisome on some of the more nuanced finer routes, the double moves and stuff like that. Uh, and so he's going to have a little bit of struggle, like getting separation. The thing is that might not matter because he has, I think it's PFF calls it like a trump card. He had, you know, separation won't matter. Throw at him anyways. He's going to climb the ladder and go get the ball. And the fact that the guy's all over him isn't going to matter. And that's okay. It gives me a little bit of shades of Treadwell, but not everybody's Treadwell. Got to, you know, get that out of your mind. So I, I, think he's got a decent enough chance to work out in the NFL where like I'd take him in the second round. But the reason I have him so low and so early on this list is because I don't think he's like 
providing what the Vikings have a deficiency in. He is what I call like an ina- inaccuracy eraser. I think Diggs and Thielen were inaccuracy erasers for for like Case Keenum, right? Diggs is going to be a great inaccuracy eraser for, for Josh Allen. If you throw a bad pass, inaccuracy erasers haul them in. Guys with big catch radiuses, guys that can make contested catches, guys that can make up for when you throw the ball to the wrong spot and the corner suddenly has better position on you. Guys like Michael Pittman, you know, but guys like big tight ends can like make up for that and go get the ball anyways. And that's what he does. Kirk Cousins is really accurate. And that's not really the problem that you have with a Kirk Cousins offense. What you need is the dynamicism and you need the explosiveness and stuff. And so you're not really getting that with Michael Pittman. So I only have him this low on the list because we're talking about the Vikings. I think he could work out really well for someone else. But again, he's just not like Vikings-y in terms of what the Vikings wide receiver core is desperately looking for right now, which is explosiveness. And the next guy on the list that I have way lower than a lot of people do, I see a lot of people put this guy in the Vikings uh, first, in their first round mocks, put this guy to the Vikings. It's T. Higgins, who I think is kind of the same thing as Pittman Jr., but like better at it because he has a little bit more explosiveness. But like this, uh, this class is full of like these tiny slots, these little like Julian Edelman, like five foot 11, five foot 10 explosive, you know, take a bubble screen to the house types, like these, all these little Percy Harvins running around. And this guy's the exact opposite of that. He's big. He boxes you out. He has plenty of speed and athleticism. He's not like a big, slow Anquan Bolden kind of guy. But for his size, you know, the the thing preventing him from being like a first round absolute guy, and, and a lot of people really, really sour on him, is that he doesn't play like the big bully you think he is. If you put like Michael Pittman's attitude onto T Higgins's skill set, I think you get a first round receiver. But like he doesn't play as physical as you think. He tries to be a little bit too finesse when he could just like totally bully a guy off a route and it would be fine and he like tries to be finesse. And and I I think that's like admirable. I think there might be coaches that really really like that and say, "Yeah, no, you're trying to win the right way and not just win with your athleticism and that'll translate a lot better." And it, and it totally might. But like the game that I see coming out of T Higgins is one of like consistency and like being a good possession receiver. And that is something that a lot of teams are going to need, and the Vikings aren't really one of them. You know, they have Adam Thielen and Tajay Sharp. Those guys can do the possession role with their eyes closed. What we need is somebody with more explosiveness and dynamicism and and somebody that can, you know, take a slant route to the house. And I think Adam Thielen can do that, and we need somebody on top of Adam Thielen to kind of replace that home run ability. And I don't think that T. Higgins does it for the Vikings. I, I think that, like, right now, they have a whole bunch of people that can execute a scheme. They need somebody who can execute outside of a scheme. And that's not what I see in in T Higgins. I see him as somebody who can make up for flaws, but not make up for a lack of strengths. And that's what we're looking for. So the next kind of slate of guys are guys that I'm a little bit more excited about for the Vikings. I don't, again, I don't think this, that my ranking here is going to reflect how these guys actually get selected in the draft, nor would it be if I were just doing a general big board for every team. This is very, very Viking specific. And all these guys are guys that I wouldn't call like a quote-unquote scheme fit. And that is probably a misnomer because I don't think the Vikings scheme actually like requires extremely specific things from the receivers that you need to like, it's not like with the offensive line, right? Where you like don't want big slow linemen, you want kind of finessey fast linemen. I don't think the Vikings scheme does that with wide receivers. You know, if you can win deep, if you can win short, if you're shifty, if you're big and you're fast, they kind of can figure out a use for you and that's fine. But it's more that I don't think they're a fit for the Vikings in that the Vikings just don't need what these guys are offering as much. Again, they could totally use it, but I think that a a pick, a draft pick in wide receiver will 
take the Vikings further if they do something that contrasts what they already have. Give me a Julian Edelman weird little slot type. Give me a Percy Harvin. I think this team needs desperately needs a Percy Harvin, and none of these guys are really that, and that's fine for them, and that's fine for whatever team drafts them, but I don't think the Vikings are going to be the destination where they find the most success. So I'm going to get into those guys for the rest of the show here, so stick around, that's coming up. Okay, so let's get into some guys that I'm a little more excited about, because I've kind of talked a whole bunch of guys down. Let's talk some guys up. So the the next guy I want to talk about is KJ Hamler, and KJ Hamler is a lesson in something I like to call, he's good, but... There's a lot of times you see, this is the, the time of year where you hear somebody say, well, yeah, 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 he's good, he's good, he's got all these things, he's very good at this, but, and then they say some caveat that matters or it doesn't, but usually doesn't. To cherry pick an example, you know, Stefan Diggs, he's good, but he's small, and he went to Maryland, and that actually pushed him down the board quite a bit, and, and I think that there's a, always a lot of guys that are, like, clearly good, they can play ball, they have production, they're good on tape, you can see them play football well, but then you say, yeah, but he's short as if he hasn't been overcoming being short to put all that good tape out in the first place. And that's what you see with KJ Hamler. He's tiny. He's literally my size. And like my whole thing is being a dweeby math nerd. Like I'm 5'10", buck 65 soaking wet. And he's maybe got 10 pounds on me and I have an inch on him. Like he is a tiny, tiny, tiny dude. But he's really good. He's got really explosive speed. He can he can like take a slant to the house, you know, take a screen to the house, that kind of guy. He can be the Percy Harvin stupid, slippery little twerp. Get past guys, get away from guys, get open. Uh, you know, something I think with with the size of wide receivers, air is zero feet tall. If you get away from the guy and all that's covering you is air, air is zero feet tall and your height no longer matters. Now, his size did get him in trouble sometimes. He gets bullied off routes, you know, struggles versus press and stuff, and he probably needs to be moved to the slot. Although, I think you could put him outside if you, like, had to, but I think he'd probably prefer him in the slot just to hide some of his, his size-related flaws a little bit more. But if you didn't want to do that, like, I don't think you'd be wrong. And so, when we say he's good, but blah, blah, blah. In this case, he's good, but he's small. What we're really referring to is that on average, five foot nine wide receivers aren't going to make it in the NFL. But on average, five foot nine wide receivers aren't going to make it to the NFL combine and to this point in time anyways. So he's kind of already proven that he can win in spite of being small. And so I'm not particularly worried about his size. What I am worried about with KJ Hamler is his ball skills. And that is to say ball tracking, like I mentioned before, is something that you can't really teach. You kind of have it or you don't. And he struggles a lot with this, with tracking the ball in the air, getting to the right spot. And he had some, some concentration drops. And this is something with all of these like young, shifty playmaker types. They're always going to kind of struggle with it because they get greedy and they want to look upfield and they want to house you know, you want to go make a big yak play and they're not thinking about getting the ball secured first. And it's a discipline thing that a lot of the times these guys work it out by the time they're in their second training camp. It's more the ball tracking issue that I'm particularly concerned about. And that's why he's below guys like Ayuk and Ragor and, you know, Mims and Jefferson on this list for me. But I still maintain don't fall victim to he's good, but there's a difference between he's good, but small and he's bad at tracking the ball. Those are two very different categories of weakness, and I care about one, and I don't really care about the other. So the next guy is another one of these, like, shifty, explosive, but small kind of guys. It's uh, Jalen Ragor, and he is somebody, I, I kind of feel like he has an Iverson mentality, 
that's what really like strikes me for him. And if you remember, Allen Iverson was the kind of guy that would never pass the ball. He would just go shoot and he was good enough to kind of justify it, but it was like greedy and it wasn't like the right way to do things. And it got him in trouble sometimes, but it was like, he was, you know, a superstar enough where you kind of let him get away with it. And I feel like he has the mentality of I'm an Allen Iverson and, and I, I call him greedy, right? He's a greedy receiver. And I'll get into more of that in a second, but first, like more basically, uh, he's kind of small, but I think it's okay. He doesn't get boxed out as much as, you know, somebody like KJ Hamler would, uh, or, or some of these other like kind of smaller type receivers. A lot of people talk about his 2019 season and how it wasn't very good production wise. And I'm not too worried about it. He took a really big hit with quarterback and unlike with like Donovan Peoples Jones, uh, he, it's something where like you could see that if he was schemed a little better, he wasn't schemed any like manufactured touches. And I think that's something you should do with Jalen Ragor and his quarterback was, uh, cheeks. So he kind of took a production hit and I'm here to tell you, don't worry about that. You know, this is one of those times where you say, focus on what he did do, not what he didn't do. And so let me explain what I mean about the greedy thing. So he, like, he lights up double moves. PFF called him a cheat code on double moves. And everybody else says that, like, when it comes to those more difficult routes, he gets excited and he and he goes for it. But on some of the boring stuff, like stupid little hitches, you know, like lines, uh, routes coming back to the line of scrimmage and stuff like that, he doesn't quite sell them with the same excitement. And it kind of got me thinking about something uh, Xavier Rhodes said in an NFL Films piece where he was talking about how he covers Julio Jones and how Julio Jones would come out of the huddle and be a little more excited every time it was a play that was going to go to him. And that's how Xavier Rhodes, like, he could actually use that to, like, cover better. And I, I, I keep thinking about that. Like, he, it's almost a tell. And even if it's maybe not something that, like, actually tips off quarterbacks, it's still, like, those boring routes are effective and you have to play them with the same excitement. But the double moves, that's where it can be a big, you know, blow the top off play. And so he, he adds a little excitement to it. Not that he's like bad at a slant or anything. I don't want to oversell it, uh, but it's, it's greedy. And, and I think that's a good thing and a bad thing. Like it comes with its pros and cons because lighting up double moves is incredible. And he has all the explosiveness and, and playmaking where, you know, if he runs the other routes with a little bit less enthusiasm, he can still make it work and still be a little bit productive. And he can, you know, still house a screen and he can still like give you the explosion. And so if he ends up on the Vikings, I'm, I'm happy with that. And I think teaching him the rest of the boring parts of the route tree, like it's such a deeply fixable problem that I'm definitely not too worried about it. Where I think the greedy mentality actually does hurt him is that he is, of all these guys, he especially struggles with looking in the ball. And so you get some concentration drops where his eyes are upfield and he wants to go house it and wants to go make the big play and he doesn't get the like the basics down. So I think the kid just needs to learn a little bit of discipline and then he's going to be really, really, really good. And so it's like it's a coaching project, but it's like an easy mode coaching project because I think teaching a young kid to slow down and be a little bit more patient about things way easier than teaching him like how to track a ball or how to run a route, you know, like this is, you're not building anything from the ground up like you are with LaVisca Chenault. You just kind of got to get a, instill him with a good habit and a good patient mentality. And I think he can absolutely like unlock something and totally explode. He's also, because of the drops and because of the production hit he took at TCU in his senior year, he's kind of falling. So I think there might be some really good value here where I've seen him available at like the back of the second round. So if you were so inclined to say, pick like a tackle in a corner or trade a first round pick for like Trent Williams, which a lot of people said, or something like that, if you were so inclined to use your first round picks to deal with other problems or go cornerback, cornerback, I've seen some mocks do that and, and wait until the second round to address wide receiver like some people want because of the depth of this class, Jalen Ragor is the depth of this class that you would be targeting. Another guy that is really confusingly depth in this class that kind of 
he always goes around the same range as Jalen Ragor, and I feel like it's insane. Like I feel like I'm going crazy because I'm I, I I see a ton of compliments to Brandon Ayuk. He's another like explosive, you know, Cordero Patterson like gadget type, and you know he he runs good vertical routes. He can chew up uh, cushion really quickly. He's got speed. He's got explosiveness, and he's got all that stuff, uh, and, and really good like flexibility. That's something when you run a route, uh, a lot of times you're supposed to kind of sink your hips into it. And you almost like do it. You like sit down into the route, and it helps you kind of explode out in the direction you're going to go and accelerate really, really fast out of your break makes it easier to get separation. He's incredible at that just because of this natural flexibility that he has. I think Dane Brugler said that he has like adios speed too. You know, if you if you get him or angle changing speed, I think is maybe what somebody called it. Uh, and what that means is, you know, when you're a defender, you're supposed to take angles at at a runner. Say, you know, he catches a bubble screen and you're trying to make the tackle, and you have to make sure you take the right angle so that when you're making your tackle attempt, you are where you anticipated that he was going to be. But Brandon Ayuk has so much acceleration and speed, it makes it really difficult for defenders to judge that, and so he could just blow by guys that totally have had like the position on him and that's what he did in college harder to pull that off in the NFL but it's like a strength for him for sure I think the deal breaker with him and I guess the reason that he's falling to like the second round is that he struggles a ton against press like he just dies to press coverage and part of it is because he's a little wiry, part of it is because he just doesn't have very good release technique, and he, they hit him in the slot a ton, and you could just do that, you could just say, alright, you're just a slot guy, we'll never make you deal with too much press again, or we'll line you up in off alignments and stuff, and you could do that kind of thing, and like fix it and hide it, although I think it's fairly costly with an explosive guy like that, and uh, you know, what you can end up doing with him is kind of do that for a while, but then say, you know, hey, in the background, we're going to kind of teach you releases and try to get you better at releasing off the line of scrimmage versus press, and better, you know, getting narrow, and, and all of the like different techniques that we can talk about, like how to beat press, and then he can be a much more complete wide receiver, and then you just have like a really good player. And the other thing with him that's kind of causing him to fall is that he spent some time in Juco, and he's a one-year wonder in an actual, like at Arizona State. And uh, a lot of people wanted, when he came out of Juco, a lot of people wanted him to switch to cornerback, and I'm pretty glad he didn't, because I think he turned into a pretty good, uh, a pretty good route-running wide receiver, just like naturally. So there's like a lot of room to grow here. And so the reason he chose Arizona State, which is kind of a small school, is because they were going to let him be a wide receiver, and he wanted to pursue that. And I think that that worked out pretty well for him. That said, teams are kind of skittish about the Juco guys and the guy that, you know, oh, why did they want him to play corner? Is he actually not good? And they kind of tend to overthink these kinds of things, and maybe he can't release, and then, you know, you kind of start to build a case. But for me, all these things are stuff that I don't care about too much, and I think he's, it's another, you know, he's good, but, like, he went to Juco. It's another he's good but, and I just don't care about the but. There you go, put that on a t-shirt. Don't care about the but. So up until now, all of the guys that I've said are kind of second round guys or guys that like if you trade it out of the first round to go pick up more draft picks, which a lot of people do, you know, you could go pick him in the 30s, pick him in the 40s. And the next two guys, the last two guys on this list are the only two that I would take in like the first. I would think about it with Brandon Ayuk. I think it'd be kind of a reach, but the kind of reach I could talk myself into if I had to. But the next two guys are guys that I'm just like, if they're there at 22, they're on the list and, and we're thinking about it. Uh, the, and, and I actually had to think really hard about which guy I wanted to put on top. So the last two guys are Justin Jefferson and Denzel Mims. I'm going to talk about both of them, but uh, the decision between them is a, a really interesting one because I think they both like complete comes to mind when I think about both these guys. They're both complete wide receivers that can do everything and they come right out of the box and they can just like contribute. If you're going to spend a first rounder on a, on a wide receiver, it's on these two guys that just like can play and they don't have it. They don't come with a project. They don't come with assembly required. 
And so the first guy I'm going to talk about is Denzel Mims, and he's somebody that is like a big kind of box out contested catch type, but that's not for like a lack of like explosive ability elsewhere. Uh, You know, he can win on a vertical route and he can go, you know, burn and, and get behind a defense and stuff. I don't think he had the best tested athleticism, but it's not something that showed up on tape at all. There's actually a really good uh, Brett Coleman video. I'll link in the show notes about this. But like, don't mistake that tested athleticism for like a lack of explosive playmaking ability. He absolutely is somebody that can like fly into the second level of a defense and catch a big like chunk play. Right. Uh, and I actually remember the pre-draft process. The reason Michael Thomas fell to the second round was because there was a, a similar concern. It's like, yeah, he's good, but he's not great at anything. You know, he wasn't like as explosive as Corey Coleman. He wasn't good as, as at contested catches as Laquan Treadwell, but he was like, good at everything and like not like just you know good not great not like mediocre but he was like genuinely good at all this stuff and I get a similar vibe with Denzel Mims and that's why I'm putting him in like the first round and I would be absolutely happy to take him at the back of the first the thing that I think is causing him to not be at the top of this list or not be up there with like the rugs and the lambs is that he doesn't use a lot of deception in his routes. And that's something that actually being paired with Adam Thielen and being in a room with Adam Thielen can help a ton because Thielen and Diggs would teach. And I talked to wide receivers at training camp, uh, like young wide receivers that were like, yeah, they're teaching me all kinds of these deceptive tricks. And that's like the influence that Thielen has and Diggs did too, that they can teach deception. But what I mean is like, he just kind of runs the route and he does it with plenty of suddenness and he does like the right technique and stuff, but he doesn't do a lot of faking and he doesn't do a lot of like super deceptive uh, uh, moves that like get in a a cornerback's head. So a very heady mental cornerback can kind of use this to, to their advantage and kind of be all over him and, and stick with him a little more than you would want. That's a super nitpicky criticism, but we're up here at the top. That's what you got. And I think the reason I have him below Jefferson is because that is harder to fix than the the problems that Jefferson has. And Jefferson's been in a mock draft Monday, so we've already talked about him, but real quick refresher is that he's another like bigger contested catch type that similarly to Mims is complete enough where he's not like a big slow like Anquan Bolden that's just going to be a possession receiver. Like he's going to be somebody like he can go make explosive plays happen. He can facilitate explosive plays and and be more than just a guy and that's why he's a first rounder for him he has a little bit of a release problem it's not as bad as Brandon Ayuk's release problem but LSU kind of put him in the slot he had very few reps against press man and you kind of have this thing where you're like I don't really know how good he is at, at releasing against like good press coverage so you kind of have a question mark there but it's something that you could either put him in the slot till he learns it like with Ayuk and you have way less work to do uh, versus Ayuk, who just has no idea what he's doing when it comes to, like, releasing off the line. Uh, you know, this is just somebody that, like, could work on it. So you have less work to do, and you can fix it. Or you could just put him in the slot till it's fixed. Or you could just say, eh, you're a big slot, and we're just going to use you that way. All of those things are viable and fine. So that's why I have Justin Jefferson on the top. I think it's a little easier to fix than, like, teaching deception from scratch. But with the t- final take here, which is I would take Justin Jefferson over, over Denzel Mims, I acknowledge that it's very close. And if you disagree with me, it wouldn't be very hard for you to convince me. And I definitely wouldn't challenge you or tell you that you're wrong. I think it's super close and either of these guys in the first, I am absolutely down to take them at 22 or 25. Uh, we are way long on this one, so I'm going to wrap that up with just going down the list again. So I have Justin Jefferson at top, up top, a complete wide receiver, maybe a little tough on the releases, that's it. I uh, Below him, I have Denzel Mims, also complete, could use a little deception, but not many other holes in his game, and both of those things are pretty nitpicky for those two guys. Then I have Brandon Ayuk, who's this explosive, shifty, 
slot playmaker. He's the only guy I actually think like maybe could be kind of become a Percy Harvin type uh, and not have that be just a stylistic comparison. Uh, but he dies to press coverage and you have to figure that out for him to uh, really like realize his potential. Next is Jalen Ragor, who is small, explosive. He's the guy I said he had an Iverson mentality. Uh, he's kind of a, you know, a, a greedy point guard. Uh, then I have KJ Hamler, who's another like slippery little slot guy, has the ball skill issues. He has the size issues and I care about the ball skill issues. I don't care about the size issues. He's clearly shown that he can overcome and play uh, above his size, but the ball skill issues are genuinely concerning. Next guy is T. Higgins, who's a big box-out type, won't have as easy of a time getting open just because of uh, some, like, route polish stuff, and he doesn't use all of his size like you think he would. Then I have Michael Pittman, who's another, like, big box-out type, and he struggles with separation, catches everything in his zip code, and somebody's really, really going to want that, so I could definitely see another team being very happy with him, but with T. Higgins and Michael Pittman, they just don't fit what the Vikings really need to in inject into their offense. They don't give you that excitement. They give you consistency. The Vikings have plenty of consistency. They need excitement. Uh, the next guy is LaVisca Chenault, who is way too raw for what the Vikings need right now. Way too much of a project. They cannot afford to work as hard as you would need to work to realize LaVisca Chenault. And then I also have Donovan Peoples-Jones, who probably doesn't belong on this list, but a couple people mocked him to the Vikings, so I threw him on anyways. He's got a good body, good athleticism. He's kind of the kind of the, the, the build that you would want and not much else. Can't run a route can't really be productive, had quarterback issues, but I'm not sure fixing the quarterback issues would have helped. So that is your quick recap. And with that, I'm going to sign off for this episode of Locked on Vikings. Let me know what you think, or if you would change uh, anything on my list. Remember, the list is for the Vikings specifically, not necessarily a big board where I would have T. Higgins and Pittman way higher and probably like Ragor and guys like that and KJ Hamler a lot lower on like a general big board. But for the Vikings, that's where I think my preferences would lie. So you can send that to me at Luke Braun NFL or at the show at Locked On Vikings. Tweet at me, yell at me. Let's bully me. Let's go. Uh, you can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. And hey, by the way, Locked On NFL is doing their mock draft special, which is all of us Locked On hosts got together. We did a mock draft, so I picked twice for the Vikings. They are doing that. If you ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On NFL, they will go over there. They have uh, experts from the colleges that these guys came from. They have all of us talking. They have draft experts from the Draft Network talking. It's one of my favorite events of the year, so do go check that out uh, on the Locked On NFL podcast. You can find it wherever you found this one or ask your smart device. Same deal. Play podcast Locked On NFL. I'll see y'all tomorrow, and as always, skull.